You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, I'm guessing a word of affirmation made it to his ears, at least, and it might have gone something like this. Travis, you got this. Simple, true, but like any affirmation, sometimes hard to hear. I would imagine in Travis's head that night there were other voices speaking between his ears. He wanted to believe the affirmation, but could barely even hear it with all the noise. It was the playoffs last fall, San Francisco, game five. It was the ninth inning. The game was tied. Travis Ishikawa stepped out of the bullpen, heard some kind of affirmation like that, I believe, and then walked to the batter's box. And as he walked, he looked around the park and he saw everybody was on their feet with great anticipation, great anxiety. The crowd was very noisy. But a professional athlete in a moment like that, it's not the noise in the crowd that you worry about. It's the noise in your head. You pray for quiet. You pray for silence. Stepped into that batter's box, and there was this persistent voice that might have said something like this. Travis, who do you think you are? A hostile voice. And the answer to that question would have to be really not much. Travis was not happy to be there in that moment. It had not been a good game for him. Why does this all come down to me? Just earlier in the game, he had flubbed a fly ball left field, just didn't get his mitt there, went right over his glove and a run scored. The answer when he looked at his whole career would have to be not much. Travis Ishikawa, over the last 35 months, had been let go by six baseball clubs, one after another. He'd been moved from city to city. Just a month ago, he was playing ball in the minors. Matter of fact, the only reason he was called up is because Major League Baseball requires that there be a left fielder on the team. And uh, Giants had had so many injuries, they had to go deep into the minor leagues. And they got Travis. Sports writer said the best story about his career so far had been uh, the story about how he met his wife. He was uh, playing a game in San Jose. First pitch hit him right in the mouth. His wife was a dental assistant. It's a good story. Not the one you really want to tell. They said in the media, Travis wasn't supposed to be here. And no one knew that better than Travis. Who do you think you are? The pitcher would wind up, throw the first ball, strike one. Wound up again, second ball, strike two. Okay, at this rate, this will be over soon. <clears throat> but then... There was that one voice, that one word of affirmation. Travis, you got this. And that word hung like a fastball over home plate. And in that frozen moment in time, Travis heard that affirmation in a way that echoed with all the other affirmations he had heard over his life from parents and teachers, coaches and friends. It was a word that convinced him that what he really knew was really true, that one is not defined by our failures, that he really was somebody and that he was meant to be here at this point and in this time. 
And he said to himself, I got this. And he swung that bat. Jason Stark of ESPN would write, and off went that baseball, roaring through the San Francisco night into a place in the lore of baseball where only October's most legendary home runs reside. He had it, and he got it. There's a power in words of affirmation, isn't there? We all know this. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety weighs down the human heart, but a good word cheers it up. We're talking about the style of a servant tonight. Someone who affirms people has the style of a servant. They hear God's word spoken to them and they share that good word with other people to bring cheer, to share hope. And we're looking at these songs of the servant. If we want to know how it is that we can be people of affirmation, then let's look at Isaiah again. Because in each of these songs, Isaiah shares out of his real life struggle something that inevitably points us forward to Jesus Christ and inevitably points us forward to a way that we can follow Jesus Christ and learn what it means to really be a servant, to connect with the nobility of our lives as servants. So let's open up the Bible to Isaiah chapter 50, verses. Um, the, the servant song is verses 4 through 9, but let's just uh, look at the first two verses together for starters. It's page 594 of the Pew Bible. Go ahead, please, and pull that out and turn to Isaiah 50. We'll read verses 4 and 5. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. Uh, When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. So if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning, he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. I would imagine that you learned what I learned as a young child. Someone said to you, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, right? And that is not a bad rule uh, to go by. But you know what? If we really followed that rule, this would be a very quiet planet, don't you think? But Isaiah wants more than that. He doesn't want to just have to be quiet. He doesn't want to just be nice. In verse 4, he says, he wants to know how to speak a word that will sustain the weary, He wants to connect with the power of affirmation to sustain lives, to lift them up and make them strong. I looked up in the dictionary what affirmation means, and this is what uh, American Heritage says. Affirmation is uh, something declared to be true. It's a positive statement or judgment, a positive statement or judgment, something declared to be true. Now, Isaiah tells us that if we want to be people of affirmation, God gives us three gifts, and we get them from God and nowhere else. Three gifts. I want to interact with you about these three gifts here tonight. And The first is a learning tongue, a learning tongue. The second is a mourning ear, a mourning ear. And the third is a gracious practice. Let's, let's take these in turn. First of all, God gives us a learning tongue. We see this in verse 4. 
Look again. I like how the NIV translates this section where it says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. Now that adjective, well-instructed tongue, I think is a better def- uh, uh, translation than the tongue of a teacher. You'll see a little footnote in the text of the Pew Bible that tells you this is a little bit tricky to, uh, to uh, translate. But the literal word for the adjective that describes tongue is learning. God gave me a learning tongue. You see, the word shows up at the end of the verse, the very last word of verse 4. That's also the word learning, to, 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 uh, those who are learning. I don't know why the New Revised Standard gave it two different definitions in the same verse. It's a learning tongue. That's the gift that God gives me. So what does that mean for Isaiah? What in the world is a learning tongue? Well, I think there are three implications for us here. The first is this. A servant speaks humbly. A servant speaks humbly. Is there not a very fine line between affirmation and condescension? You think about it. You can imagine uh, Dilbert's manager patting the back of an, uh, uh, you know, Dilbert saying, your sales presentations are getting better. Thinking that he's offering some kind of an affirmation when really he's just venting his condescension. You know, the subtext is maybe if you keep up, you get, you get a sales t- presentation going that's half as good as mine, right? Affirmation can come across as condescending, like we put ourselves on a pedestal. Who am I to know that you're doing a great job? Maybe one of the reasons why we don't affirm so much is we don't really like that, and that's a good thing. Isaiah says, hey, you don't have to be that way when you affirm people. You can have a learning tongue. You can speak as one who's still very much in process yourself. You're learning. I'm learning. We're on the same journey together. I might be able to say instead, you know, I admire the way you handled that presentation. Thank you. I really learned something from you there. Do you see the humility there? A servant speaks humbly. In fact, the word learner is translated in Isaiah 8, verse 16, as a disciple, which is really what a disciple is, who's somebody who's learning. So a servant speaks humbly, is one on the journey with others. Secondly, a servant speaks truly. There's also a fine line between affirmation and flattery. You and I live in the most praised generation in the history of this creation. We also live with the most medicated generation in the history of this creation. How good is it doing? You know, we're just blowing smoke at one another sometimes. All this praise, giving everybody a trophy just for showing up. You know, it's not sustaining the weary. It's actually exhausting and enervating us even more. It's not refreshing because it's not true. A servant speaks truly. You know, in Isaiah's day, the people who say whatever everybody wants to hear, those people are called false prophets. And if I run around just saying whatever I think you want to hear, that makes me a false prophet. I like what Tim Keller says. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Ouch. Think about that. If God is all-knowing, and I'm just one little, puny little brain... Of course there'll be times when he has better ideas than I have about how to lead my life. Of course. So to have a learning tongue is to learn how to speak truly. And to learn how to speak truly, we've got to listen to God's word. We've got to become students 
of the scripture and the Bible. And in Isaiah is that way. He, five chapters later in Isaiah 55, he'll say, God, I get it. Your ways are not like my ways. Your thoughts are not like my thoughts. The gulf between us is like between heaven and earth. But thank you for sending your word. Your word is like the rain and it comes and it waters the earth and it brings forth spring life. This is why Isaiah is so creative and imaginative and original and countercultural. It's because he doesn't just say what everybody else is saying. He allows the scriptures to inform his, his way of thinking and his way of speaking. He's willing to be challenged. He's, he's let, he, he subordinates his own beliefs and understanding of how the world works to, to what God says is good in the world. See that? So he's got a learning tongue that allows him to be a servant who speaks truly. Servant speaks humbly, speaks truly, and then a learning tongue also suggests that a servant speaks positively. And here there's no fine line whatsoever. There's a great gulf between affirmation and what I'm well trained to do, and that is offer criticism. All of my life, my education has prepared me to be a, quote, critical thinker, and I'm really good at it. It's my, my gift to you and to my kids as well. I, I do criticism really well, but you know what? There's nothing sustaining about criticism. The only thing that criticism sustains is bitterness. And Isaiah's saying, that's not what I want. That's what my tongue does naturally. But I, I want to have a learning tongue. I want to have a tongue that speaks with God's goodness. It takes practice to do that. I, I want to unlearn the critical spirit and I want to learn how to offer affirmation. Some of us excuse the things we say because we say, oh, it was true, right? Well, I know it was not the nicest thing in the world, but it was true. Well, that doesn't mean you should say it. No, it should be true and it should also be positive. See, Isaiah knows what his mission is. It's to sustain the weary. Also, he says in chapter 40, verse 9, his mission is to be a herald of good news. Good news, good news. That's your mission too. In chapter 61, verse 1, he's sent to bring good news, he writes. And so are you, good news. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he, he told them that he'd send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, one of its roles would be to convict the world of its sin. And I think what he's saying there to his disciples is, that's the Holy Spirit's job, so it's not your job. Convicting the world of sin is not our job. It's not our role. Jesus has not sent us out into the world to wag our fingers and say, this is what's wrong with you. This is your problem. No, to be positive is our mission. I love the way Bruce Larson says, he says, you know, it never helps anyone if you say, I know what your problem is. It never helps anyone. It never has. All it will do is destroy the relationship. What helps someone is when we ourselves get to a point where we feel safe in the context of a relationship to say, you know what, I know what my problem is, and confess it ourselves. In that context, then we can offer it up to God for his forgiveness and for his healing. So a servant speaks positively. This is what it means to have a learning tongue. And God gives us that gift. It's an engagement with God that Isaiah discovers how to speak in this way. But there's a second gift. God also gives us what I'm calling a morning ear. Morning by morning. He wakens, he wakens my ear. A morning ear. That's verse 4. And I think to myself, maybe my tongue is not more positive because my ears are closed by the noise of judgment. Judgment of others. Judgment I fear. 
and maybe even the judgment I offer myself. Now, I'd be so bold as to suggest that you speak to yourself in the mirror in ways that you would never speak to anybody else. You say things in the mirror that you wouldn't let anybody say to anybody you cared about, and yet you say them. We say them. We have this noise in between our ears. And we'll never unlock the power of affirmation for other people until we first hear God's great affirmation for us. The Lord opened my ear, he said in verse 5. Whether you believe in God or not, there is noise between your ears. There is some voice inside of you that from time to time just wants to say, who do you think you are? I'm not impressed with you. I came across this great article in the New York Times not that long ago, beautifully written by a man named Mark O'Connell. Times had sent him to Dublin for a tech conference, and he walked around. He said, I felt like a man of letters in an assembly of numbers. All these entrepreneurs, and he's just a writer, you know, and all these CEOs. And what he noticed was how much confidence all these CEOs had waving their business plans, uh, promising to save the world with some bit of technology. He said the engine that seemed to drive all this ceaseless achievement was a hot and incorruptible core of self-belief. And he admits in the article he was really quite envious of that because he didn't have it. And also deeply skeptical. He was not sure they had it either. He writes, if I had to identify a single element that characterizes my life as a writer, a dominant, effective note, it would be self-doubt. It's a more or less constant presence in everything I do. It's there even as I type these words. I'd begun to detect a sort of hypertrophic enlargement of the part of my brain that looks at what the other parts are doing or planning to do and says, sorry, chief, but that's not going to cut it. My concern here is that I have an inadvert... I have... Listen to this. This is O'Connell. My concern is that I have inadvertently allowed my inner critic to become the writer in residence of my very soul. What does that mean, have a writer in residence? You take your inner critic and you say, I'm going to give you the best office. It's got a gorgeous view. Here's a desk. I'm going to give you grant money. Um, You know, whatever you want, you tell me we're here to serve you. And I want to tell you, he's not the only one who's done that with his inner critic. You don't have to be a Major League Baseball player or a New York Times writer or even a CEO in denial to have a voice in your head that criticizes you, that judges you. Remember, an affirmation is not just a positive statement. It's also a positive judgment. And you and I need to learn to live with a positive judgment. Now, how does Isaiah get there? Well, I think if you were to double-click on his phrase there, morning by morning he wakens my ear, double-click on that, it would expand to verse 8. And here, verse 8, Isaiah has done what prophets tend to do very beautifully. He's used poetic imagery to conjure something we are to imagine. And what we are to imagine is a courtroom. He's saying, in essence, come with me to a courtroom. Let me read verse 8. He starts off, he's speaking about the Lord God who helps me in verse 7. The Lord God who helps me in verse 7. Now in verse 8, is he who who vindicates me is near. The word vindicate, by the way, means to, to determine not guilty, to make a positive judgment. The one who declares me not guilty is near. And so he says, well, then who will contend with me? The the word contend is a technical term for bring a lawsuit in ancient Hebrew. Who's going to sue me then? Well, if you're out there, why don't you come? 
He says, who are my adversaries? Uh, let them confront me. Let's stand up to Let's go to the bar. He's basically calling them out. Now, I think he has flesh and blood opponents, but if, if their attacks on him, their verbal attacks didn't become inner voices that haunted him, then they wouldn't really be problematic for him. But it's only because those criticisms become internalized in his life that he needs to now sort of bring them out into the open. So let's go to the court with these. So would you, would you, if you got a charge against me, would you come to the court and would you come to the bar and would you speak to them? And do you hear the confidence here? He's so confident because he knows who the judge is. This is the one he says four times. He calls in this translation, Lord God. And in uh, the NIV, he calls him the sovereign God. And he's also two times the one who's referred to as the one who helps me. And he's also this tender, gentle God who's waking him morning by morning and whispering in his ear affirmations. (laughs) This is the one who's going to judge me. I'm reminded very much of uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, who I think echoes this when Paul says, well, if God is for us, who's against us? Who will bring any charge against God's people? It's God who justifies. That is, it's God who declares us not guilty. So who's to condemn? It's Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Let's think about that word, intercedes for us, and ask the question, who's present in this courtroom? that Isaiah imagines. Well, of course, there's the judge, and of course, then there's the person who's bringing the lawsuit. But there may be a third person. This um, final phrase in verse 8, who are my adversaries, that word adversaries, literally in the Hebrew, would translate uh, the master of my case. The master of my case could be an adversary, but also could be the opposite of someone who contends with me. The master of my case may, in fact, be what we would call a defense attorney. So he's saying, uh, who's going to sue me? Let him come to the bar. And then I call my defense attorney to the bar as well, which is very interesting. J. Gresham Machen says that when Jesus intercedes for us, he does not ask the Father in the great heavenly court for mercy. He doesn't. He asks the Father, Machen says, for justice. This is mind-bending, so just take the, follow me here. If I do something bad, I do something wrong, and I say, God, I pray that you'll forgive me in Jesus' name. Jesus then takes that prayer, and he makes the case before the Father in the heavenly court. And he says, well, I'm here to represent uh, uh, George. He's, um, he's, he's done something bad, and you know, the Father says, George Hinman, weren't we talking about him yesterday? Okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I know we've talked a lot about George and the things he's done, but, uh, but would you be merciful? Would you overlook his flaws? Because he has a few fine qualities as well. And we, I really want you to kind of look the other way, at some of his bad stuff, and just see the bigger picture. And, and would you just give him mercy, God? And that's not, that's not the biblical picture of what Jesus does. No, Jesus asks for justice. Because he knows what he has done, Jesus, as our Savior. And so I think this is what he says. He says, Father, look at what George has done. He's asked for forgiveness. I pray for him justice. Because, because I died on the cross to pay the penalty for his sin. And I gave my life, uh, a life of obedience, on his behalf to you. And, and Father, you know that no one can ever be uh, tried for the same crime twice. 
It just wouldn't be just. And since you've already punished George in my death on the cross, you can't punish him again. And because one is only asked to live one perfect life, and I've lived that perfect life for George, you can't ask another perfect life of George. That has already been satisfied. And so I pray that you'll give George what he deserves, not on the basis of what he has done, but on the basis of what I have done. Do you hear that? That's the gospel. And if you haven't ever said yes to Jesus who wants to offer you that gift, let tonight be the night. This will make you a Christian. You just do it by faith. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, would you be my defense attorney? I uh, come from a long line of lawyers, and my dad taught me when I was a little boy. He said, anybody who represents themselves in court has a fool for his own client. And you've heard that before. We don't have to do that. Jesus intercedes for us. He intercedes for you. Now, even if you have said yes to Jesus, and you know for sure you have eternal life because of Jesus' work, still, every morning, you need to allow God to wake in your ear. Morning by morning, you need to hear that good decision, that gracious verdict for you, not the person next to you, for you. God's unconditional, indestructible, infinite grace is for you every day, and that's where you got to start to quiet all the other voices. Quiet the space between your ears. And here is affirmation. God gives us a morning ear. And then finally, because of this, Isaiah receives from God a gracious practice. And I, just to put it in the imperative, I would say it this way, affirm by faith. That's our practice this week. Affirm others by faith. I told you that in each one of these servant songs, grace will turn into service, and it does so so naturally. Here, once I realize that God has made a positive judgment over my life, I no longer need to compete with you or anybody else. I no longer need to subtly or overtly make you seem smaller by pulling you down so that I can somehow feel a little bit bigger about myself. Because in God's eyes, I'm already huge, and you're already huge. See, so you don't, so you don't, now you're free, aren't you? To relate in a very different way. Now what you want to do is, is you want to pull other people up. You want to, you want them to hear the same gracious word of affirmation that you have heard in your own life. When you affirm somebody, even if it's a small thing, like you got this, you know what that does? That puts another voice into a very noisy space. It offers a minority opinion that says, you're okay. It inserts a word of grace into that inner dialogue that everybody has. And if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you, you think you have an inner conflict and an inner critic that's hard to live with, just imagine if you didn't know Jesus Christ, how hard it would be to live with your inner critic. So people need to hear affirmation so desperately. It will sustain the weary. It really will. We get anxious about this. Well, how can I offer affirmation to somebody who's making bad choices or somebody who's hurting themselves or others? Can I affirm that? What if they don't know Jesus? Can I offer grace? The answer is yes, you absolutely have to. And here's how you do it, two ways. First, you affirm what's good. Everybody has something good. You can always find something good. Affirm it. Speak about it. Make a positive statement about it. And then secondly, do it by faith. 
even if you don't see it in their lives now, do it on the basis of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Do it on the basis of who they will become as they respond positively and say yes to Jesus themselves. That, by the way, is what hope is. Hope is living today with what's true about tomorrow. This is, this is why we share hope in Jesus. I got an email from one of you this week, uh, one of our members. She said, you know, I decided since Lent has 40 days, I was going to affirm 40 people. She made a list of 40 people in her life, and she's calling them each day. She's calling one person on the list. She said, what a spectacular journey it's been. I've called 19 so far, and the response has been amazing. I must say the return on my time has been phenomenal. I could never outgive God. Most of the names were from my daily prayer list. The blessings I've received from the calls have been numerous. I've laughed with some, prayed with others, even cried with some. I've heard wonderful stories about answers to our prayers, which thrilled my soul and reminds me again of how God truly does answer prayer. I'm excited to see what else unfolds as I take on the next 21 names. Can you imagine if UPC were known for affirmation? That's the church. that just They just affirm people. What if we were the people that affirmed the young, affirmed the elderly, affirmed the weak, affirmed the strong, wherever we went? Remember as you do this, the Lord God, the sovereign God, is with your ear to help you listen. And the sovereign God is with your tongue to help you speak. Well, last fall, an internal voice had told Travis Ishikawa that it was time for him to quit baseball. He might have thought it was from God, but he decided not to listen because, thankfully, there was another word between his ears. Just a few years earlier, he had met Jesus Christ himself. and He told a reporter that faith will always be the biggest part of anything that happens to me. And last October, with a little affirmation, you got this, and a lot of faith, Travis discovered who he really was, and he made a believer out of the rest of us, including the third-base running coach who quotes a song from a line from Gregory Page's uh, song who says, One thing for certain, I promise you will see, it's never too late to be the person you were meant to be. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, it is such a privilege to know that you have affirmed us in Jesus Christ. It just blows our minds to know that we're okay because you delight in us and you have redeemed us in your love. We pray that out of our joy, out of the freedom that comes from that, you will help us to be people who offer words of affirmation, good words that sustain the weary. Even this week, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to find people in ways that we can offer affirmation. And then as we speak those words, would you work them deep into the soul? and bring eternal life. We pray that you'll get all the credit, Jesus, in your name. Amen. For more UPC audio, or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301 extension 117.